why we're thankful time. we get to do a show like this, right? Every That's week. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, we can, you know, I can tell uh, Jennifer what I really think, but not, <laughs> but not say it personally, you right. know? Bless your heart, Mike. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content. More conversation coming up after this week's edition of In Focus. The shutdown's over, but what's next in the immigration debate? We talk with Indiana Senators Todd Young and Joe Donnelly, and we'll discuss how all of this affects the race for Senate in Indiana. Plus, two days from the President's State of the Union address, with more headlines emerging on the Russia probe. And the latest news from the State House on medical marijuana and Sunday alcohol sales. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning, I'm Dan Spieler. Just two days away now from the President's State of the Union address with a number of ongoing controversies making news today in Washington. Matt Smith has more. Matt? Hi, Dan. Good morning. A number of headlines causing some controversy late in the week, including that first report from multiple news organizations that President Trump ordered the firing of special counsel Robert Mueller back in June. That's just a month after Mueller was appointed to lead the Russia investigation. The president dismissed those reports while speaking overseas at an economic forum on Friday. He also told reporters he'd be willing to talk with Mueller under oath, perhaps in the next couple of weeks. This amidst more back and forth about the FBI and the Justice Department as well. That and recent government shutdown providing an interesting backdrop for Tuesday's State of the Union address. The president will speak to Congress and the nation Tuesday night at 9 o'clock. And we'll have live coverage for you right here on Tuesday. All this, of course, one year into the president's first term. So we wanted to know, what do Indiana voters think one year later? Our In Focus panelists help pick this group you see here. And this week on CBS4, you're going to learn that Hoosiers are still divided. I want you to give me a word or phrase that describes President Trump's first year in office. Absolutely winning. Winning. We're going to get so sick of winning, but we're winning. I love it. I'm going to say chaotic. Yeah, that's a better word. Chaotic. I think it's shameful, um, the rhetoric that's been coming out of his office and from his own Twitter feed. This was a great conversation. You're going to see more of this focus group throughout our political climate, talking all about that on Thursday on CBS4 all day long, as well as CBS4Indy.com, and next week here on In Focus. Dan. All right, Matt, thank you so much. Of course, uh, a week ago, the government was shut down. And still, there's a lot of talk about what will happen next on DACA. The White House sets unveil an immigration plan tomorrow. So what do Indiana senators think about the shutdown and the immigration debate? This week, I spoke with Senators Todd Young and Joe Donnelly. My thought is it's unfortunate that we got to this point. Uh, you never want to shut the government down. Uh, the American people sent us to Washington, D.C. to make government work and to fund the essential uh, services of government as opposed to taking particular items hostage. And in this case, there were uh, a number of important provisions to Hoosiers and to the rest of Americans that were part of this bill, making it especially unfortunate. But nonetheless, uh, I commend those uh, Democrats who didn't listen to their leadership from the outset. Uh, it really is an indictment uh, of uh, those who, who uh, decided to bottle up the process for an unrelated issue that wasn't uh, 
uh, wasn't on our doorstep uh, in the real near term. But with that said, I'm very happy that in the end, Republicans and Democrats, it seems, have come together, 81 of us, agreeing that we need to fund the federal government and these other important uh, services. What do you want to see happen on DACA? Are, are you committed to, to having that debate in the Senate? Yeah, I'm absolutely committed. It's something uh, that I've been committed to for some time. I've been on record indicating that uh, we need to secure our border and make sure that uh, Americans remain safe and secure. And uh, we monitor who comes in and out of this country. Uh, but we also need to provide legal certainty to those who are in this country. And the group that I'm uh, most uh, sensitive to in this regard are those uh, younger Americans who came here at an incredibly young age. They've never known another country as their home. America is their home in their minds. And, and, and so we will have respectful debates moving forward about uh, how we're going to be able to reconcile those two issues, border security and dealing with the DACA population. And I hope all the while uh, we increase the level of military funding in a time when uh, there are still wars going overseas and, and it's an incredibly dangerous time for our servicemen and for those of us here at home. When the government funding did not pass we got together immediately as a group. We started with 12 senators and we started working on the issues that were separating the, the two leaders and to approach it as, uh, as Americans, not as Democrats or as Republicans, uh, to leave the party politics aside and to get our government back up and functioning. And so we worked throughout the weekend. Um, I had over 10 meetings at the end of the day and each day we were able to um, narrow the differences so that Sunday night we, uh, we again brought uh, to Senator McConnell and Senator Schumer uh, ideas that we thought could help get this started again. And on Monday morning, we were able to get it all concluded. What did this shutdown really accomplish in the end? And could we be right back here again on February 8th? Well, as you know, on, on last Friday, I voted to continue funding of the government because I didn't think that um, I didn't think that shutting the government down was uh, was a good idea. I thought that our job is to continue to work through these issues to find a solution. And so, where we are right now is the government is open that on February eighth uh, or, or thereabouts that we'll begin working on legislation to address the Dreamers and to address additional border security and. What we're going to continue to do is work on that. Look, um, at the end of the day, um, Senator McConnell and Speaker Ryan and President Trump are going to decide whether they want to solve this issue, whether they want to actually move forward uh, on something. The president's executive order uh, runs out of time on March 5th. And so we are working to try to create a, uh, a space to have a final decision on that before that time. But everybody has to play their role. And I can work really hard in the Senate to get to a conclusion where we have stronger, safer borders, where our DACA kids have a chance to uh, remain in the United States. Up next, we'll talk with our panel about the shutdown and Senator, Do Senator Donnelly also talking about medical marijuana. For the first time, state lawmakers approving a study committee to look into that issue. We're also looking at the huge role the Indy Star played in the Larry Nasser case as they get a lot of well-deserved praise for the impact that investigation had. And we'll look at another important project they're working on dealing with human trafficking. Stick around. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. I'm joined now by our panel, Indy Star columnist Tim Swearens, former GOP lawmaker yeah. Mike Murphy, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner. The shutdown over for now, State of the Union two days away. Amidst more reports, the president may have tried to fire Robert Mueller. What might we see from the president Tuesday night with all of this going on in the background in D.C.? Who knows? <laughs> um, it's always, you kind of roll the dice with President Trump. Um, what I hope that we will see on Tuesday night is calm, uh, you know, complacent a little bit, more um, in charge Trump. I think that's what we saw last year at the, uh, at the State of the Union. And I think that's what we need to see this year because people are not comfortable with the chaos. And we've been saying that week and week and week and week after week. And they really need to see a leader. What does he need to tell Congress? More importantly, what does he need to tell the American people? Well, I think he gets, needs to get across the message to the American people that he's in control of the economy, he's in control of foreign, foreign relations in a good way, and that this immigration situation is, is getting solved. We don't know, and we won't know uh, until that day. Fortunately, the people that are writing the State of the State of the Union are, are not the president. It's people with some, you know, some stability and some writing ability. So the question will be, will the message in the State of the Union match the actions? And we won't know that till, till Tuesday night. Well, Tim, the president dismissed the latest uh, Mueller story as fake news while overseas, but it does seem to raise uh, even more questions about this entire situation. It, it does, and, and the president may dismiss it, but the story's not going to go away, and it becomes increasingly serious as we go along. Uh, with the State of the Union a couple days away, we now have some new numbers about possible matchups in the 2020 presidential election, showing an uphill battle potentially for President Trump in a hypothetical matchup with former VP Joe Biden. Trump trails 57 percent to 40. Meantime, guys against Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Look at that, Jen. 55-42. Uh, 51-42 margin here. He even trails uh, Oprah Winfrey, who, by the way, Mike said last week she wasn't interested in running after all. That's right. I don't think this, this really makes that big of a difference. Things will ch change so much between now and then. No doubt. Also looking at some polling today about the government shutdown. As we said, over for now. It didn't last long, Tim, but as to the question of who is to blame here, those numbers shifted kind of quickly. Last week we saw some numbers that showed voters blame Republicans more than Democrats, but this poll this week from Fox News showed that Democrats took the blame here uh, by a count of 32-24. And, and I think that was a big reason why the shutdown ended so quickly was because the polling numbers started going against Democrats. Uh, another poll to show you here talking about those Senate Democrats and some of the more vulnerable Democrats up for re-election. I'll highlight the one that we're talking about here. Joe Donnelly uh, still Popular, more popular than he is unpopular, favorability ratings, but uh, his numbers and all of these uh, vulnerable senators up for re-election kind of all slipping this year in an election year. What do you make of that? The, the, his, Joe Donnelly's numbers are going down, which is to be expected in, in an election year, but it starts to show the impact of all the negative advertising that's out there right now. Uh, in some ways, Donnelly uh, kind of distancing himself from Chuck Schumer on this shutdown vote, but it's uh, worth noting he is at a fundraiser this weekend with Schumer, who's raising money for vulnerable Democrats. We also learned this past week uh, in an email to uh, Donnelly's supporters, he said former Vice President Biden will be coming to Indy sometime in the near future to campaign with Donnelly. Jen, Mike, what do you uh, make of some of those numbers we were looking at as we look ahead to the 2018 Senate race? I, mean, I totally agree with Tim. His numbers were always going to go down because we're in an election cycle and he's going to be uh, subject to a lot of negative advertising, which does cost money. So can't blame the guy for hanging out with, uh, with Biden and Schumer to get the money that it takes to run a campaign like this. But I don't think Joe Donnelly has a lot in common with those folks. Just wait, just wait till the Republicans get through that crazy primary yeah. and they learn how to focus on issues instead of themselves. And when that happens, I think Donnelly's numbers will go back to even, if not underwater. And speaking of uh, that Republican primary 
We were talking about the Rokita campaign this week, touting some internal polling numbers showing them ahead, gaining steam in that contentious primary race. Uh, as we know, internal polls don't always tell the whole story, but who's got the edge here? Well, I actually think Todd Rokita does have the edge, even though there was, what, like 60% people undecided, unknown. Um, but I think he has the edge because I think he is the aggressive candidate. He is coming out and smacking literally anyone he can, Messer, Braun. And I think in this kind of climate, that will suit him well in the primary. I think he will lose in the general election to Joe Donnelly. Hard to say, right? Still, Hard to say. We're, we're far out. Um, I'm not going to make predictions this far out, uh, <laughs> unlike Jennifer. Um, you know, Rokita is uh, playing the Donald Trump role in this race. And, uh, you know, I was one who, who discounted Donald Trump for the longest time, and I'm not ready to do that now. And, and we'll see if a Trump surrogate in Indiana does well. All right. Also this week, a couple of the candidates looking to replace Rokita and Messer in the House are out with their first TV ads. Both longtime Mike Pence allies, in fact, one of them is Mike Pence's brother. I'm going to fight for more jobs for them, for Hoosier values out in Washington, D.C. That's Republican Greg Pence, who's running for his brother's old congressional seat in the 6th District, out with his first TV ad this weekend. And so is 4th District candidate Diego Morales, a former aide to then-Governor Mike Pence, who's running for Todd Rokita's seat in Congress. Uh, Mike, any edge to being on TV first? Of course, both of these candidates also with big connections to the vice president that could help as well. Well, if you come on TV this early, you better stay up on TV. That's all. You can't go down because then people think he ran out of money. Um, I think the best news for Diego Morales is that he's raised about a half million dollars, which is really good for a first-time candidate. Week, yeah. And the second thing I think that's coming out soon that's going to be good is he's going to be endorsed by Jeff Cardwell, yep. the former state Republican chairman, who also was a very uh, inner circle person in the Pence administration. Rumors have him being everything from ambassador to El Salvador to, to another <laughs> kind of Pence uh, uh, staffer in the White House. So that's a big endorsement for Diego Morales. These Pence connections continue now with his brother running for Congress. Yeah, and I mean, the sad thing is that these are primary races. They're, they're, neither Democrat in these races is probably going to have any chance of winning in November. So what we get in May is what we're going to get. All right, a lot of news from the State House this past week as well. Two Sunday sales bills moving forward, passing in both the House and the Senate. Lawmakers also forming a study committee to look into medical marijuana this summer and the governor extending the moratorium of any citations for CBD oil as lawmakers continue to look at that issue at the State House. Uh, are you guys surprised to see a day and age where Indiana lawmakers are studying medical marijuana and on the verge of passing Sunday sales? I'm not surprised at all because if you look at the lobbyists involved in these issues, they're the exact same, the same three or four lobbyists are involved in all these issues. They're involved in uh, medical marijuana, they're involved in alcohol, they're involved in vaping, and they're involved in gambling. And it's all about controlling the market. And so eventually, over time, they have their influence. An interesting, interesting topics this session, so I guess. Right? So much alcohol, right? That's all we have to talk about on this show. It's, it's interesting. The CBD issue, I, I still don't understand it, but it seems like one that um, hopefully lawmakers can take care of. I know the governor extended the moratorium uh, last week, and I think that's probably a good move for him. And they also made some changes to that bill this week that do allow legally for CBD up to like 0.3% THC. Uh, another is interesting issue that got changed at the State House this week, that bill uh, about gun licenses and making it so you wouldn't need a gun license, that bill basically got thrown out. In the yes, it was the language stripped from it. Uh, that, that issue seems to be dead this year. Uh, the Second right, uh, second Amendment rights folks are upset about this, and, and it's unusual for them to be upset with anything the Indiana General Assembly does. 
but a lot of police groups say they're happy with with the change. But just re well. just remember, as I said often, these legislators put these bills out there knowing they're going nowhere, but they know they'll that'll get them the A plus rating <laughs> with the NRA. It's it's a little bit of a game that goes on. The good thing is there's no harm, no foul. It's just all kind of a word game. All right, much more on our podcast. Uh, Tim, we also want to talk about some of the amazing work done by your colleagues at the Indy Star, their investigation into USA Gymnastics and Dr. Larry Nasser, who was sentenced this past week. Our Trevor Shirley spoke with one of the Indy Star reporters who first broke that story. Indianapolis Star investigative reporter Tim Evans had no idea how big the story would become when he sat down to interview Larry Nasser in the summer of 2016. He wasn't even on our radar when we first started this, uh, looking into sexual abuse and gymnastics. And then uh, suddenly, after our first story, people started telling us about him. The coverage quickly went national, and more of Nasser's victims began reaching out to Evans, along with his two reporting colleagues, Mark Alicia and Marissa Kwiatkowski. Even when we were writing our stories in, in the fall of 2016, we had no idea of the scope of it. Evans says for too long, many of the victims hadn't been taken seriously when they tried to report Nasser's abuse. He hopes the judge's sentence today of up to 175 years will hopefully change that in the future. It, it sent a message to them that, that somebody cared about them. And I think that was important because a lot of these women felt like no one cared about them. During the sentencing, Michigan's assistant attorney general made clear the role the star's work played in ending Nasser's reign of abuse. Without that first Indianapolis Star story in August of 2016, he would still be practicing medicine, treating athletes and abusing kids. Reflecting on what is likely one of the biggest stories of his career, Evans agrees, saying it's not just about the outcome we saw today, but also about the importance of a free press. I think this case shows that uh, three reporters in a small market with limited resources and good intentions can sometimes overpower uh, high-powered attorneys, million-dollar uh, clients. There's value in journalism still, and that public journalism, investigative journalism, does make a difference. Tim, as you guys have pointed out this week, journalism matters. Journalism matters a great deal, and this story is just one example of that. Um, you know, the 156 survivors who spoke at the sentencing hearing were uh, amazing and courageous, and, and we want the spotlight to be on yeah. them. Um, but at the same time, uh, this is an illustration of why journalism matters and local journalism yeah. matters so much. Kudos to your colleagues. And Tim, don't go anywhere because up next we're going to talk with you about another big IndyStar project that you've been working on in recent months dealing with human trafficking. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. It's an important project and an important topic, and it all starts with this music video you're watching, kicking off the Indie Star's 10-part series on human trafficking called Exploited. Our friend Tim Swearens is the man behind this project, and he's traveled the world since getting a special grant to help cover this important topic in depth. And Tim's back with a preview now of what we will see. And my goodness, Tim, the things that you have seen covering this story. It's been a, it's been a hard journey at times, but it, we end on a, hope, on a note of hope because there's so many people around the world who are working on this. Just let me give you a little bit about, of the background. We're talking about more than one million children a year around the world who are victims of commercial sexual exploitation, child trafficking. 
in our own country, in the United States, we're talking about more than 10,000 children a year. And something that happens in Indiana and as well. It definitely happens yeah. in Indiana. More than 100 children identified in all parts of our state last year. Average age of victims in the United States, 15. Wow. And you went around the world. Tell us where you went and a little bit about how you got to do this. It's part of a special grant. It was. And thanks to the Society of Professional Journalists, uh, which funded this project. Um, so when I started working on this project, I wanted to tell the, the, the national story and the local story. But I also wanted to put it in the context of what's happening around the world. Our hearts are broken about the 10,000 children in our own country. But we're talking about a million children worldwide. And I wanted to wow. show that. <clears throat> excuse me, to readers here and around, around the nation. And so um, set out and uh, was in Thailand, India, um, Mexico, Bolivia, um, and uh, also in Europe, uh, looking at what's happening uh, to kids. And we have some footage uh, to, sh to show as well, uh, just some of the places you went, some of the things y you've seen. How do we... What are we seeing here, and, and, and how does that, what does that tell us about what, you know, what we can do about this problem worldwide? Yeah, so this footage is actually from, from Thailand, uh, and this is a, a large red light district in Nanaplaza's large red light district in Bangkok. Um, so Thailand has become a focus of sex tourism around the world for many years. Uh, there is a significant problem with human trafficking in Southeast Asia and the exploitation of children. And like you said, a problem all around the world, even here in Indiana as well. We'll look forward to watching for this series, IndyStar.com, uh, starting today. You can see that music video and on Thursday as well. Right? Yes, so yep. the, uh, the first column will post on Tuesday morning and it'll be in print on Thursday. All right, we're back with this week's Winners and Losers right after this. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Tim, I'll start with you. So 156 winners in a courtroom in Michigan, amazing uh, string of women who stood up to face Larry Nasser and talk about the abuse he inflicted on them. Uh, my losers this week, all drivers in Indianapolis who have to dodge those potholes. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Mike? I actually have two winners, the Indianapolis Star for their work, yeah. and thank God for a free press, not just for the Nasser story, but for the Robert Mueller investigation by the New York Times. And my other winner, believe it or not, has to be Donald Trump because um, you know, we're still working through all this, but it looks like he has opened the door to citizenship for the DACA, the Dreamers. We'll see what happens, right? In the keeping with the free press theme, there was a small group of students, high school students, who went to the State House last week to, uh, to fight for their First Amendment rights in, in high school journalism, which is actually what led me to becoming a journalist and working for the Indianapolis Star a long, long time ago, but I've never been prouder to have been a former journalist. You guys did great work, Tim. Thank you. Great way to close this show. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Okay, after the show on our In Focus podcast, uh, we are talking a little bit more about the, uh, the State of the Union coming this week, and uh, also just this first year. I, I know we marked the, the first year since the inauguration, but this is another kind of milestone moment for the Trump administration when you look at the year that has been, and a lot of other things going on in the midst of the State of the Union, like we talked about this latest news on Mueller, uh, you've got the whole immigration debate. And, and we learned this week that uh, one of the people that we've been talking about, one of the real voters in Indiana that we've talked about a lot that was part of a focus group we just did, uh, Gerald Hawkins, will be at the State of the Union address with Todd Rokita this week. Um, Mike, you were at that focus group session where Gerald, who's a Trump supporter, and yep. a number of people who don't support Trump, yep. and some who do, were all there. What did you make of uh, hearing from those voters about 
this past year that we have talked about every week on this show? Well, first of all, I think they're all sincere, which is good. They all seem fairly well informed. Um, I think it was, it was fascinating to see how, despite an hour and 15 minutes of talk, nobody changed anybody's mind. They were equally passionate at the end of the uh, focus group as they were. That's the, the day and age we're living in, right? <laughs> yes. There's a lot of talk, yeah. but nobody's but changing. But the other thing that impressed mind. me was they all had this kind of what I would call this Hoosier sense of civility. Yeah. You know, they gave them all glass mugs. No mugs got thrown. <laughs> um, everybody seemed to walk away shaking hands saying, you had interesting comments. Um, so it was, it was fun. It was informative. And I, and I hope people learn from this, anybody who watches this over the next several days, that uh, just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean they're not a patriot, doesn't mean yeah. they're an intelligent or informed, just means you disagree. And you get to say things like, bless her heart, you yeah. know, I just don't <laughs> see eye to eye with her. That's right. uh, but that is a remarkably Hoosier thing that we are able to do is to yeah. sit down. My worry though, and I was not able to be there for the focus groups, but my worry is that we don't have those conversations anywhere except for when we're forced to by a mm. media outlet mm -hmm. or we're forced right. to for other right. reasons. Yeah. And that's a real shame because even though nobody's minds were changed, Mike, I think that even having exposure to people who disagree with you is helpful for the process. And we tend to have those conversations on Facebook and sure. other social media outlets where the, the people with the shrillest voices get heard the most and, and kind of squeeze out those people who want to be more civil and well, have a real conversation. And you mentioned exposure to people you disagree with. You could extend that to exposure to cable channels you might not normally right? watch because it's people you disagree with. I, I mean, you watch MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, mm -hmm. And you're looking at different realities sometimes. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and you know, Tim, it's funny you mentioned Facebook. Just this past week, they announced they're changing their algorithm so that, you know, people posting stories will not get as much engagement. You won't even see them. Um, people asking questions and starting a meaningful debate, you'll see that. But the only comments that they're really going to start aggregating up high are the long ones. Now, you could put Lorem Ipsum in there, I guess, for like three paragraphs. <laughs> but the, to your point, the people who are the loudest, who you know, yeah. have the most to say, even if it's not necessarily the best stuff, are going to be heard more and more on those social platforms. Yeah. And that's uh, an issue we face in journalism as well. I mean, you know, what, which stories get heard the most, the loudest, the clickbaitiest, and it's it, not, it, that's it not really the stuff that matters we're, we're in an age where, in, even in the journalism uh, industry sector, uh, there's a lot of discussion about the need to get ratings or to get right. page views online. And some of the things that get the most page views are not the most important stories by far. Right. And uh, you know we are a business; we have to pay the bills. But at the same time, how do we how do we continue to uh, produce substantive work, important work, and get it before audiences? It's a really difficult. Well, that's uh, why we're thankful time. we get to do a show like this, right? Every that's week, right. absolutely. We can, you know, I can tell uh, Jennifer what I really think, but not, <laughs> but not say it personally. You right. know, bless your heart, Mike. Bless, bless your heart. That Hoosier uh, common sense we all talk about. Uh, you can watch that focus group. Thursday throughout the day on CBS4, and then also Sunday on next week's edition of In Focus. We're looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.